Hello, this is the WGN Morning News Podcast. I'm Brian Say. And I'm Ross Maccabee. Each week we talk to one of your favorite WGN Morning News personalities. We ask them personal questions and try to make them squirm a little bit. We dig up the scuttlebutt and dish on the hot goss. Ross, what do you like most about this week's guest? I like this week's guest because sometimes he gives me free beer. How about you, Brian? What do you like about this week's guest? I love this week's guest because sometimes he gives me free beer. Wait, is that what you said? This is the WGM Morning News Podcast. Our guest this week is morning show anchor Larry Potash. Larry joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, Larry? I am wonderful. Well, Larry, we work for Channel 9. This is a behind-the-scenes podcast where we learn secrets about you. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if I could ask you nine very personal questions. Are you willing to answer my questions? It depends on the question. All right. Mm-hmm. Time now for nine very personal questions. These are nine very personal questions. All right, Larry, are you ready? I'm ready. Question number one. What is the best dessert? Apple pie. Okay. Did you want me to elaborate? I like vanilla ice cream on it. I like coffee ice cream by itself. A coffee frap is a real treat, but you got to get it in Boston because you go someplace in the Midwest, ask for a frap. Up until Starbucks came around, nobody knew what a frap was. And they went, Lottie freaking die, your majesty. You want a frappe? But that's what we call it, a frap. I don't think I know what that is. What? It's like a it's a it's a shake with ice cream in it. Oh, but a shake was like a cheap thing you got at McDonald's. Like a frap is like the real. That's tip. a Dunkin'. Yeah. Well, back then, no, you just get a bit uh, the ice cream place, the ice cream parlor. I was hoping Boston Larry would come out yeah. today. <laughs> Which actor would play you in the WGN Morning News movie? <laughs> uh Boy, I could have said Ray Liotta, but he's no longer with us. Um, that's a good question. You know, I had a friend who thought I looked like that guy on Boston Legal or something. I can't remember his name. Devin McDermott or something. I don't know. Um, Dylan? Dylan, maybe that's the guy. I don't think I look like him at all, but somebody suggested. That. Oh, the guy on JAG. There was a guy on JAG that they said I look. I don't remember his name, but uh, I wish I looked like that guy. I'd have a much better job if I did. But uh, other than that... Uh, See, all the actors I know that I grew up with are now like 80, like Harrison Ford, like quiet. I'm a quiet, for in the broadcasting world, I'm a quiet guy. So I think Harrison Ford's kind of a quiet guy. And angry, too. So. Sometimes. I feel like you're a Tom Hanks. Yeah, I don't know that I'm that likable, but I, I'll, I, Tom Hanks would be a good, he's a little older than me. Let's say you have three hours to yourself without any commitments. How do you spend that time? Um, I read. I go for a bike ride, or I watch um, The Godfather for the 975th time. That's a good lead-in. Which movie is the best movie? Godfather 1 and 2. It just seems like the easy answer, but it just it just is. And you've watched it 900 times? No, I've I, you know, you watch any time you're flipping around and you stumble upon it, it's locked in. And my wife says, well, why do you do that? It's something about the, the dialogue the characters it's just a way it's just a feel it's really it's just so well done what is your favorite word i can't say it and i try not to say it even when i'm not on tv but when i was growing up in boston it got said a lot by all of us all the time so i tell this story when i I moved across town and i used to pick this kid up for school every day i go by his house and his mother says Danny, you're going to be late for school. And he says, F you, Mom. And she says, F me, F you. 
This was high school. <laughs> so, but you try not to say it anymore. I don't. I don't say it that much. My wife says it more than I do. Oh, surprisingly. Uh, least favorite smell. That uh, that is a good question. Well, um, <laughs> Red Tide, I think is it's called, uh, where I grew up on the water uh, when the algae came in. It, it smelled like the sewer times a hundred. It was bad. It would permeate the car windows being up. Um, so yeah, you'd have to experience it for yourself. You know the bathroom that's next to the engineer's lounge upstairs? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you just imagine cranking the adrenaline up on that, mm. Lynn Haba, the allergy's going to be pretty bad certain time of year. It's bad. When you order a pizza, where do you like to order from and what are your go-to toppings? Well, I am not endorsing any commercial pizza parlor on this broadcast entity unless they want to pay me to do that. Um, but I am strictly a mushroom onion guy. Nothing else on my pizza. Thin, deep. I like the thin. I'm good with the thin. And I prefer it would be cut in triangles. I don't know why it matters, but it just seems like that's the way it should be. What do you think happens when we die? I think that's it. That's it, and that's it, and there's no evidence to the contrary. If somebody has some, I'd love to hear it. If you weren't at the old number nine, where would you be? <laughs> at the old number seven. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably do, be doing this somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, my original plan was to get go to Boston. I didn't know what Chicago was. I, I'd never been anywhere. I thought it was like a big, you know, I thought it was like Milwaukee or Indianapolis, which are fine cities, but... Like it's just one of the many Midwestern cities, but uh, I got lucky. Right place, right time. Look, starting a morning show, looking for young people cheap, and here I am, thirty years later, almost. Yeah. But you think, regardless, you'd be in broadcasting? Yeah, I think so. At at, at this point, yeah. I mean, and I had thoughts of maybe being a lawyer, but um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of reading. You know, you watch L.A. Law back in the day, like this is really cool. This looks like a fun job. And then you, you, don't, you don't see all the hours late at night in a book reading boring stuff. So uh, needless to say, uh, this suited my skill set, which was more flying by the seat of your pants more so. Uh, getting by on street smarts a little bit uh, on, when you're on the street as a reporter in Evansville, Indiana, you know, your street smarts go a long way. That was question number nine. I had one last bonus question. It's a little controversial. This is a bonus controversial question. Are you ready? Yeah. Is it true you went into the audio booth with executive producer Aline Cox and had the audio guys delete the fart noises from the sound machines? No, I said um, I said to Aline, I said, uh, do you think this is a good thing we should be doing? And she said, no. And I said, well, why are we doing it? She said, and I don't remember what she said. I think she said, I, I don't know. I just said, well, why? I said, why don't you just take it out of the cart? She said, yeah, let's do that. And I said, well, I'll go talk to him right now. And we did. And there it is. Do you think the show is better for it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, here's the trap that, that this, this show has always fallen into is that you start to think that 100% of your viewers are the block party viewership, the people that are passionate, diehard WGM Morning News fans, and they're not. And if you ever want to get beyond that, you've got to just do the news. We already have the base. We don't need to beat the base over the head with, you know, fart noises. Um, it's just, especially at, at breakfast, I just don't know that that's what people want to hear. And it's an easy joke. I mean, it's 
you know, could it be funny once a month? Sure. Every other day? I don't think so. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. All right. This has been nine very personal questions. These are nine very personal questions. You're listening to the WGM Morning News Podcast. More with Larry Potash coming up. You're listening to the WGM Morning News Podcast. I'm Brian Say. And I'm Ross McAbee. Next week, we'll be joined by morning show anchor Robin Baumgarten. If you have a question for Robin, call 773-883-3323. That's 773-883-3323. You can leave a voicemail and ask Robin whatever you want. Then we'll play it for her when we record her interview and force her to answer your question. Make it interesting. Make it funny. And let's have some fun. One more time. That's 773-883-3323. Call now. This is a WGM Morning News Podcast. I'm Larry Potash. Hey, thanks, Larry. Ross, I heard you found a clip. Yeah, Brian, I found a clip featuring this week's guest, Larry Potash. Then I guess we should play a clip. Let's play a clip. Let's play a clip. All right, Larry, this segment is called Let's Play a Clip, and this clip is a blast from the past. Good afternoon. I'm Larry Potash, and here's what's happening in sports. Wake the kids, call the neighbors. After two consecutive 6-5 to five losses to the Tigers, the Red Sox finally pulled out a win in Tiger Stadium. Is there anything ab- about the Denver Nuggets that bothers you? They seem to be a rather unorthodox team, and they really seem to be coming on strong lately. Boy, where, where are you from? I'm from Lynn. I go to Emerson College. Oh, oh, okay. Johnson, could I ask you a question? No, I don't do No questions? Okay. Dirk, you seem to do a pretty good number on Michael Jordan. How do you go about doing that? That's all for sports right now. I'm Larry Parrish, and I'll be back in just an hour. So that was a young Larry Potash covering yeah, 18 Celtics. years old. Yeah, yeah, sports. My first question, and I think everybody's wondering, what happened to Larry Potash's Boston accent? Well, I didn't know I had a Boston accent because I had never gone anywhere. And the guy who's on the news, I thought, well, yeah, his voice is deeper, but he's saying the same words I would be saying. And uh, then I went to Emerson College where they make everybody take voice and articulation. Mm -hmm. And I had this old lady who was a legend, and she worked with the Kennedys, and she was a big deal. And um, she said, I want you to say horse and carriage. And I said, horse and carriage. And she said, no, I want you to say horse and carriage. And I'm thinking, this lady is nuts. It's exactly what I'm saying. And so what she would do is she would exaggerate to make the point. And when she did that, I went, oh, my God, is that what I sound like? And so you, I literally had to learn how to say our words. And I, you feel like a moron walking around, how are you today? You know, <laughs> yeah. And it took a lot of practice. And um, I, I remember coming home once. Uh, I probably was had been in the business a number of years, and there was a, a kid I went to school with who was digging a hole outside my house. And he, hey, hey, Dave, and he says, "Look at you talking all proper." <laughs> <laughs> so I would always tone it down when I went home. Um, yeah. And of course, with my friends, and we're goofing around. We kind of pull out the voice just because it's funny. Yeah. And it sort of represents the Jack Loaders that we grew up with. You know, um, and when I, you know, have a couple of drinks or if I get very angry, it's hard to be angry and not have the Boston accent come out. It's just not possible. Right. 
but it does take some concentration. Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> how well versed you are in switching back and forth. That's what always strikes me is you can you can hit that Boston accent whenever you want. Oh, to. it's 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 natural. Yeah. Um, and uh, my kids always laugh. And, <laughs> you know, they you know as they've gotten older, they 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 hear it when my mother calls and she oh you having a party oh. So um, they get a they get a kick out of it. Yeah. In that clip, we heard you, you know, asking questions of the Celtics. Mm-hmm. What was it like covering the Celtics in the eighties? Like they're on this title run in the eighties. Yeah. Even Larry then, Bird. Yeah. Even then, it was pretty cool. You really couldn't get close to Bird so much. But Robert Parrish, who always looked like a badass, like mm-hmm. serious guy, like he was so cool with us and had fun with us and would smile, and uh, it was. It was great that they would take the time to talk to a bunch of college kids, and so yeah. that was Casey Jones. You're 18 years old, and I've <laughs> he's like, well, "Where did you come from?" <laughs> but uh, to my friend's credit, my my journalism partner and teammate on the college basketball team, he was really good about calling the Celtics and asking if we could come in, and they said yes. And he went on to be an executive producer and for Fox Sports Detroit. So you know, this is where you start. You know, yeah, and you could hear yourself like getting right in there in between yeah. all the other sports reporters, like, "Hey, uh, Larry Potash here from Emerson College," yeah. and then they'd be like, "Hey, kid, we're not answering, <laughs> answering any questions." <laughs> yeah, I, uh, we had no idea what we were doing. Just you know, you, but you're doing it right. Right, you're, you're out there and you're doing it. You're not just reading it in a book. Right. Uh, you came to WGN from KOTV in Tulsa, correct? Mm-hmm. And your early days were pretty adventurous. You entered a burning building for your Get Out Alive series back in Tulsa. So my question is, did you get out alive? Yeah, it was a it was firefighter training school, and it was a, like a metal-framed house. And then they would put the wood slats in it. They'd put some hay in it or something, and they'd set it on fire. And the reporter would be in there, as I was, with all my firefighter gear. And there was a little hole in the back where my cameraman would put the lens in to shoot this. And, of course, it was uh, one take. We're getting the hell out of here. And they were literally – like throwing water on my back because that's how hot it was. And I did my stand-up and I crawled out of there. And let me tell you something. People complain about firefighters and they're they're in there cooking chili and uh, their pensions. If you have to go into a burning house once, you have earned every dollar because you could not pay me enough to go into a burning house. But, you know, those are the fun experiences. To me, it's far more fun being out in the street than it is sitting at the anchor desk. Here at WGN, you've spent an awful lot of time following the John Wayne Gacy story. What's your fascination with that case? It's not that I have a fascination. Well, it is a fascinating case because it goes in 10 different directions. There are layers upon layers upon layers of that story. But often, you know, these stories find me. Uh, You do one, next thing you know, you've got five phone calls. And that's kind of how it ends up working and you've got to do them you know otherwise somebody else will do will do them right so yeah i've done a lot of stories on on, on gacy and uh, the one that stands out is the idea that gacy used to work at this house where his mom lives he was like the maintenance guy or something and he had a basement office which the windows were all blacked out and there were was a guy who worked for him as a teenager like digging six-foot trenches. Um, and he, he said, I, I don't understand why I'm digging six feet down to plant a bush right, <laughs> right? or to pave a driveway. 
And so the story was that maybe Gacy had run out of space in, in, in his home, which he had, and maybe bodies were buried there. And they had done um, these, these radar detection things where they would go in and say, oh, we didn't find anything. But you got the sense that they really weren't looking and really didn't want to find anything because that opens up a whole can of worms. And the only way to know for sure is to really dig up the whole property and that has not happened yet. So uh, to me that is that is one of the big question marks of the uh, of the Gacy case that is worth exploring if you could explore it. Nothing really needs to be done on Gacy ever again again unless somebody digs up digs up this property at Elston and in, in, in Miami or if the one Gacy sidekick who is still alive ever decides to talk, which I have also pursued and uh, perhaps he's smart enough not to talk. So there really is a, a, a Gacy sidekick? He had young men who were digging the trenches for him, and one of them is still alive, and he was never charged with anything. And Terry Sullivan will tell you that they just didn't have enough on him. But I know that, I'm going from my memory here, he was, uh, his, I think it was his grandfather was a pretty powerful alderman, and this kid came in with a pretty high-powered lawyer. And uh, I had, I've written him some letters, and I've actually knocked on his door. And one day I'm home alone, and my cell phone rings, and it's him. And he asked me to leave him alone, doesn't want to talk. Um, so that would be the interview to have because – it's a pretty hard argument to make that the two the kids digging trenches underneath Gacy's uh, house had no clue what was going on. And there's more to that story, but that's that's the short story. Is there anything where you look back at your career that was like a highlight even before WGN or here at WGN? Just the adventure of reporting and, and the different things that you get to do. I mean, in, in, it was very different coming here because – Everything's live, 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 and, and there's no time to do anything, and it, there's so much going on. It's rip some some copy and read it, and blah, blah, blah. But in Tulsa, you really did get to spend an entire day working a murder story and trying to put together the pieces. And because in a market like that, when there's a murder, it's a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, They don't have 20 people getting shot every day. So we would spend a whole day trying to work a story and going in um, – salons and pool halls and trying to get information and 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 that was a lot of fun yeah i mean you've experienced an awful lot in your life you've chased after a lot of different stories is it curiosity that drives you the most a desire for adventure is it you know what is it that makes you get out there and try to get the story well both of that but i think it all starts especially when you're younger and you're working in a small market making no money is you want to beat the crap out of the other reporters you're competing against because that's kind of how you make it. And you know they're trying to beat you. And that's something in journalism school you have no sense of. But when you're in some small market and 6 o'clock rolls around and everybody's watching the monitor and then your news director turns to you and says, why does Channel 6 have the mug shop but you don't? It's a big deal. That, that doesn't even happen here <laughs> in a major market, I think, just because there's so much going on. And news directors have so many other things to deal with. But it's very competitive in those smaller markets, and it's uh, you don't want to get beat on a story. So it was great training. You know, it was great, 
great training to be in those small markets. Do you feel like that kind of journalism, like the journalism that you have subscribed to your entire professional life, like do you feel like that's kind of, you know, dying? It's hard to say because I've been in this building for so long. And um, could a station be more competitive? Could a market be more? I think that starts with management. And in some sense, it starts with ownership because if you have fewer people, they have to do more work and they can't concentrate on doing this or have time to go chase down that. You get the best newscast you're willing to pay for. So that starts with ownership. And then a news director has to dictate these are our values uh, of competitiveness that, let's face it, some places are more competitive than other places just because they are. I mean, I think that starts at the top. But ABC7 still sucks. <laughs> well, I know they're, they're not the number one newscast in Chicago in the morning. All right. This is the WGM Morning News Podcast. Stay tuned. We've got a fun surprise coming up next. Time now for checking in with Conrad. Hey, Paul. Hello. Hey, Paul. Hello. Time for checking in with Conrad. Each week I check in with morning show weatherman Paul Conrad. Let's check in with him now. Hey, Paul. Hello. Hey, Paul. So you have a beard. I have a beard. Yeah. I was wondering, do you have any like beard care tips? Because I feel like oh. yours looks pretty nice. Ah, yeah. Well, listen, here's the deal. I don't do anything with it. Hmm. I don't, uh, you know, I'll soap it with the same soap I'm using to clean my pits. Hmm. And... Um, some people brush theirs and oil it mm -hmm. and all that other stuff. I don't do any of that stuff. No I kind of feel conditioner, like, no. Nah, I don't, nothing. And here's the thing. Like, I'm not using a shampoo because I don't have hair on the top of my head, right? Right. So I'm not even shampooing it. I'm just letting it go. But I, really, I am thankful to you for your kind compliment. What's on your mind, Paul? Well, I'd like to file a complaint with the, the spammers out there, the people who are spending all their time filling up my junk email. Like you're doing a crappy job. There's like the things that you're sending me, I'm not interested in. Like I got one from Empire Carpeting, one from Bass Tech Earbuds, These like gutter replacement. I don't have gutters. So like if you're in that business, you could do a lot better job. I've never been to Camp Lejeune. Uh, I'm not a veteran. I don't need a new roof. Uh, I'm not part of uh, online casinos. I don't need information on orthotic insoles or CBD gummies or a personal injury lawyer or canvas prints. I I've never bought a canvas print. What do you think thinking? All right. This has been Checking In With Conrad. Hey, Paul. Hello. Hey, Paul. Hello. Time for Checking In With Conrad. We'll have more with Larry Potash coming up. This is the WGN Morning News Podcast. We're here with Larry Potash. Larry, you're the anchor here on the WGN Morning News from 6 to 10 a.m., but you also created and host Backstory with Larry Potash. I was hoping we could dig a little deeper and get the backstory of Larry Potash. How's mm, that sound? Yeah, that's a good transition. All right, here we go. This is the backstory of Larry Potash. In this segment, we'll dig deeper on the biggest mysteries and untold stories of Larry Potash. Potash was born in 1967 to a Catholic mother and a Jewish father. He was raised in the city of Sin, Lynn, Massachusetts, a coastal town 11 miles north of Boston. 
How am I doing so far? That's you're uh, so far accurate. At age two, you went missing, and you later turned up at a fire station. Yes. What happened there? Well, that's a question for my mother. <laughs> I suspect it involved cigarettes and maybe some coffee. Uh, she was at my uh, her sister's house, and I disappeared. And I think I just wanted to go see the, the fire trucks that were around the corner. I mean, can you imagine? I don't know what the statute of limitations is at DCFS, <laughs> but <laughs> how do you let your? T- it wasn't like I was seven; I was two. Yeah, right. Um, if I remember, the firefighter has me by the hand and is walking me down the street. I don't know. Obviously, the firefighter knew I was from around there somewhere, so he probably just went looking for them, and they were looking for me. How long did it take your mother to admit to this story? She thinks it's funny. Yeah, you you can (laughs) laugh about it now. It was a different time, right? No seatbelts. Women were, you know, smoking while they were breastfeeding. You know, it it was just a different world. In third grade, you got your first exclusive working for the student newspaper. What was the scoop? Yeah, my friend's dad worked for the Boston Bruins, and we got an interview with defenseman Wayne Cashman in a really nice home, as you could imagine, and we're sitting there waiting for him, and he gets out of this. He's late, and he gets out of this car. (laughs) Wait, hold on. Nine-year-old Larry is, like, checking (laughs) the clock. Where's he at? All I know is that we were waiting for him (laughs) out by the – built-in pool, which I had never seen before. Oh. Uh, we all had hop-in pools, not mm-hmm. built-in pools. And uh, he got out, and he had, like, this polyester plaid pants and white shoes. You know, this is the 70s. And he's stumbling all over the place. Mm. And I don't know how this started, but he said, I'm going to get you or something. And he starts chasing me <laughs> around the pool. And I'm scared for my life. I have this NHL defenseman chasing me. Yeah. And I jump in the pool to get away, and in my escape, chipped my teeth. Oh, Oh, no. And we had to leave, and I never actually did get the interview. His dad, I think, did the interview after the fact, and the explanation was Mr. Cashman was experiencing some side effects from medication Mm. for an injury. And so that was the explanation for his kookiness it may have involved some schlitz is my take but uh, that was my first experience in journalism wow and you still you pushed forward (laughs) well no i went home and went to the dentist emergency dentist i suppose i could have had a great lawsuit but my parents didn't think like that back then yeah oh man i could have been living on easy street yeah one of your first jobs was at a corner drugstore in Lynn, Massachusetts. You told me there were a lot of characters that came in and out of that place? Yeah, you know, the corner drugstore doesn't exist anymore. My dad worked there, and I think his dad worked there as well, at delivering prescriptions. And um, there was a guy that would come by every day at a certain time, open the door, and yell, 372! I'm like, what in the hell? Well, that was the street number, because my, my boss, the pharmacist, was a major gambler and would spend... This is back in the 80s, 25 to $30 a day on lottery numbers. Mm. And then um, my p- pediatrician from a decade prior would w- walk in and meet me around the back. <laughs> so I'd meet him around the back and he'd give me a trash bag. And in the trash bag was um, free samples, which I would have to punch out so that the pharmacist could resell to support his gambling habit. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. So, and then there was a lady who got NyQuil every Saturday at noon because that was her alcohol fix. Mm. So I had a lot of, it was uh, 
an education. Uh, growing up, you played basketball. When did you start playing? Very young. Yeah, we. I actually played in a league. Now they have leagues for everybody at every age, but back then they didn't. And I was nine, and that was. And I think the ceiling on this gym, which was in the basement, was about nine feet. It was like right <laughs> where the backboard, the top of the backboard. That's where the ceiling was. No, yeah. right. So there were no long passes. No, and you had to. You really you had to be careful with your arc. <laughs> and then, so you played basketball throughout middle school, high school. Yeah, college. The Fighting Thespians of Emerson College. Mm. Yeah. And that's Division Three. Yeah. We play I mean we played one game on TV that was like the Division Three powerhouse, UMass Boston. And uh it's like the the only video I have of me playing basketball ever. We play great for like a half. So we are playing this team even for a half and the announcers are saying Emerson College, uh, it looks like five guys walked in off the street and are playing UMass Boston dead even for an entire half. That is the pinnacle of my basketball (laughs) career, right? I mean, they came out later and just blew us out. But you could hear their coach screaming at them down the hallway that Emerson College came in and we're kicking their (laughs) – it was great. And I've got it on video, which is great. What was your stat line? I had 13 points that game. Nice. That's what I remember, yeah. Rebounds? That I don't remember. But, uh, yeah, it was a good good game. Uh, In 1994, you came to WGN. You mentioned to me the WGN stalker. Were they stalking you? Um, Well, there was this woman that I guess everybody knew. She made the rounds, and and I I didn't know, and I felt bad for her. She was clearly mentally ill. So I made the mistake of, you know, trying to be nice to her. And um, next thing you know, I go, oh, boy, I, I got I to stop taking her calls. And next thing you know, I'm at the stop sign outside of Bradley Place, and there's a woman with a bullhorn. Uh, Larry, uh, why won't you take my phone calls anymore? And I go, oh, boy, this is bad. I had to go to court and everything. So then Paul starts. Obviously, Paul doesn't know who she is. Paul's doing weather in the back yard at the time that we had and she's back there with the bullhorn your forecast is not correct corner <laughs> and he's like boss says somebody is protesting my, <laughs> my forecast <laughs> uh when and how did you meet your wife i met her at the gym hmm. and here's the thing she had headphones on right so what does that tell you but a woman with headphones on at the gym. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not. I'm not approaching a woman with, you know. Long story short, eventually she came up to me at the water cooler, which I always remind her that you came up to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, and she and I are having this back and forth, and everybody's on, you know, the uh, the stairmaster, and they're and they're watching this back and forth like a tennis game, going back and forth. These two people obviously meeting for the first time. And they're trying to feel each other out and maybe orchestrate this first date. And and we did. And uh, we went out the next night. And I usually have a glass of wine. We And my wife's the same. We had two bottles of wine that night. So uh, Sparks were flying. Yeah. Well, yeah. It was... Um, it was something. It was <laughs> the beginning of something. Here we, and we're still here. So, But it, she came after you. You know, I would like to think that if she had taken the headphones off, I would have approached her is right. what I like to say. But uh, but I was checking her out through the mirrors. You know, you could play the mirror game. You know, you don't <laughs> yeah. want to be creepy Smart. about it. Is that more creepy or less creepy? Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't have to answer that question. As long as she doesn't notice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think she did. So maybe that's <laughs> what opened the door. So I was kind of letting her know, like, I'd like to approach you, but you get the headphones on. So, uh, you know. Sure. So that's that. The rest is history. 
Uh, is this true? On the morning of 9-11, you were on a plane over the Atlantic. Yes. My wife and I were coming back from Europe, and we get an announcement over the plane that we're turning the plane back, and I think, oh, it's probably a bomb scare at O'Hare. This will take 10 minutes. We'll turn back. And I'm just reading my book, and my, my wife's going, sweating bullets. And um, this is a time when people really didn't have cell phones, and you had those phones in the back of the chair. So my wife sees the flight attendant in the galley with tears in her eyes doing sign of the cross. I went, uh-oh. So I pulled the phone off the back of the seat, and, and it took a long time. And I eventually got this guy who worked in the newsroom, and he's telling me what's happened. And certainly, of course, it's not what I'm expecting. It sounds like something from a movie. And I'm just reacting in real time just because you, you can't believe what, what he's saying. And then that's kind of how the airplane found out what was going on. Wow. Yeah. And so then they took us to Heathrow, which was fashion week. So it was a madhouse, an absolute shoulder-to-shoulder madhouse. They turned all the TVs off, and they had a bunch of buses lined up because you couldn't get a hotel in London because it was fashion week. And they bussed us two hours. They shut the radio off. And they bust us through this charming little town called Chichester, England. And I remember people couldn't have been nicer. That I made me wonder that if 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 this had happened in, in reverse and, and something happened to England and and you saw some British tourists walk, would, would you have been as empathetic? I don't know that Americans would have been. They were so, so empathetic, and um, people, you know, people picked us up and gave us rides and. Uh, it was it was quite an experience, but it was a long time before we really found out the details of what was going on. And then to find out about it from Sky News or BBC, it was a very different take than what you'd see on American news. It was a lot more graphic. Oh. So, yeah, um, in the newspapers especially, some of the stuff that they showed. And uh, I did some phone reports from London. Uh, eventually, we made our way back to London. But, you know, that was quite an experience to be over the, the Atlantic Ocean on the morning of 9-11. Since coming to WGN, you've done a number of stories on John Wayne Gacy. We talked about it earlier. Um, what's the story about the Gacy collector? Is that? Oh, yeah. So photographer Mike D'Angelo and producer Mike Wilder and I went to this guy who was sort of this pen pal of Gacy's and had audio recordings that were helpful for some of the stories that I was doing. And also, Gacy, I guess, had sent him a bunch of stuff, paintings and all this whole thing. So we go to this two-flat, I think it was in Lakeview, and we're walking up, and there, and this is like February or something, and there's a fishing pole coming out of the front window on the first floor into a little pond on that front little plot of land that's outside of a two-flat, which is frozen, but the fishing pole obviously has been in there for quite some time. We Okay, so we walk up the stairs, and I open the door, and sure enough, the smell of cats and cigarettes. It's just getting worse, right? Walk in. There is a giant man sitting in a wheelchair at the window with the fishing pole. Bunch of card tables set up. Gacy paintings, the clown suit, Gacy pictures, Gacy, Gacy, Gacy. And then there's one table with Charles Manson stuff. Like, hey, man, what's up with the Charles Manson stuff? He's like, oh, my wife's a big fan. <laughs> Wow. And so it's like 100 degrees in here. It smells like cats and cigarettes, and we're taking off our coats, and we're looking around, and Mike says, I'll just hold them. (laughs) (laughs) 
so we're doing the interview. He's playing, well, he's playing these Gacy tapes. And no, you're listening to John Wayne Gacy. It's kind of haunting, especially in this place we're in. All of a sudden, we hear a sound behind us and we like jump. It's his wife sleeping in the dining room, which has been converted to like a bedroom or something. Like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Your wife's sleeping right behind the Manson table. I think, can we, do we need to do this some other time? Ah, oh, no, she's fine. She doesn't care. So it was, uh, these are the kinds of people who, who admire serial killers. Mm. Um, but it was a great source for this great Gacy audio that we, we got. But uh, again, the adventures of reporting. Um, today you work on the number one rated morning show in Chicago. You also created Backstory with Larry Potash. What made you want to start producing Backstory? Well, I enjoy history and I like long form storytelling and, and long form, you know, usually reporter stories are but two minutes. If you can do three and a half or four, that's a special, right? And so some of the stories we do are nine and 10 minutes and it really, it's a whole different style of producing and writing a piece. You just kind of have to, and, and, and more so than I think Mike and I, Mike D'Angelo and I expected. So it's been fun. It's been interesting and I just love history. I mean, most of the stories I end up saying, you cannot believe this really happened, right? People are rushing to Netflix to watch fiction, and there are stories in history like 9-11. You can't believe that's real. If, you, if somebody made a movie about that, you say, oh, give me a break. That's, it. that's ridiculous. It's amazing. And people don't know history, and that's a problem. <laughs> it, it ties into a lot of problems we have in this country. Um, so... I think it's important to not just dwell in the past, but what we try to do is look at history through a contemporary lens. We find something happening in the present as it relates to something in the past. So it's not just, oh, you know, black and white photos. And so we try to make it relevant. What are some of your favorite topics that you've covered on Backstory? Um, well, I, I love diving back into the, to the basics, like the witch trials and, and, and um, the revolution, and because those are the things I grew up, yeah. knowing about, but there's so much we don't know or so much that we think we know that's wrong that we learned in school. So those are always fun to kind of jump in and see what what you miss. But then there's a story that you would never find in a history book, like the guy, and this is one of my favorites, he found a bunch of, <laughs> he was a salvager, and somebody beat him to the punch on this house, and he was pissed. He's like, oh, I got I to gotta make something of this. So he goes up to the attic and he finds broken glass, and he recognizes what it is. Because his partner happens to work with glass plates of glass. One of the few people who works with glass plate photography. It's just her. A, a weird coincidence. He puts these glass plates together to see who these are images of. And this took forever, as you can imagine. And he figures out it's the family that lives in the house and that they were famous. And it involves one of the first female correspondents who had a conversation with Hitler. Mm. And the father was tied to a political assassination in Chicago. So not that he was involved in the killing, but he had a tie to it. So a great, great story that you're not going to see in the newspaper or in a history book that, that we just kind of found organically. And those are the most fun ones to kind of uncover. So what keeps you doing it? Is it that kind of thing? Like like finding that story, that little nugget that like, whoa, I didn't know this was there. Nobody knew this was there. You know? Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, the idea of telling people something new that makes them say that that piques their interest uh, and I'm a curious person and 
you know, growing up, you used to admire sports stars. Right? And as I've gotten older, I admire people who just know stuff. Like I had a mentor who was a professor and like, geez, this guy knows everything. <laughs> like when you were reading books, I was playing basketball and chasing girls, right? <laughs> driving car, driving bad cars. Um, and so, yeah, you just start, I start to admire that more because especially in this business, I think it becomes, uh, I mean, the more you know, the more effective you can be. Um, the problem I see when I'm coaching young journalists is they literally, they go to a scene and they take a shovel and they just shovel what they saw. And I tell them, well, that's, that's C-SPAN. And you know what? Nobody watches C-SPAN because it's boring and nobody can make sense of it. They can't make sense of what they're seeing because they just not exercise their mind in that way. And uh, that's something, you know, doing these stories, whether it's investigative or something historical, it's, it's a great exercise in trying to figure out what's the story, what's important, what's not important. And, and that to me is fun. Uh, what is there left for you to do here at WGN? I don't know, nothing really. I mean, what is there to do? I don't know. It used to be you wanted to be the main anchor at night, and that was the progression. But I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case anymore. People have news all day on their phones. By the end of the day, you kind of know what's going on. In the morning, listen, we may just be background noise. Hey, as long as the check's clear, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's hard to be on your phone when you're running around getting the kids ready for breakfast. So I think we serve an important uh, place in, in people's for some people anyway, and um, I hope that continues. Uh, despite the changing technology uh, that may prove otherwise, but uh, I'm just trying to ride it out to the end. All right, this has been the backstory of Larry Potash. Backstory, 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 backstory. Well, Larry, each week we ask listeners to call in and ask questions for our guest. Here's a voicemail from this week. This is my question for Larry. Um, it's a two-part question. First off, have you seen the movie Anchorman? And if so... Which characters in the movie remind you of your coworkers? I don't think any of them remind me of any of my co-anchors because I think, you know, we, we try to be just real normal human beings. And I think the anchor staff on Anchorman is like um, almost a, a, a very um, exaggerated parody of the stereotypes in our business, which I don't think applies to our morning show although sometimes we kind of a nod to it by by playing it up a little bit because we we do get it but don't you have many leather bound books larry i do but the difference is i actually read mine (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i live in palatine turned on to get the news channel nine and it's been nothing but uh the four of them on um you know on the tv acting forced silly and i'm waiting for the news believe me it's top priority and all i hear is about just a lot of nonsense so i'm leaving channel nine well uh, the good news is if she's over 54 which i think she is i don't think it's going to hurt us too bad uh but it, it gets to my point again that you've got to balance the uh, insanity with with real information and sometimes sometimes the needle moves uh, in the wrong direction too frequently I think I would love to have Ben Bradley on the show um, that's it listening to your podcast now hadn't had a chance before they are great thank you bye well I have no doubt that is a relative of Ben Bradley trying to get him on the morning show because I think that's 
Ben's uh, dream. I've seen him in the parking lot ready to run me over, and I've just, uh, my car's faster than his. Hi, my name is Valencia. I'm calling to ask Larry, what year was you born in? Because I'm trying to see if you're older than me. <laughs> well, according to the internet, I'm, I think I'm 74, but I was born in 1967, right? Which makes me 55. Hi, I have a question for Mr. Larry. <laughs> Bing bong. I know that you're not a fan of the delicate science of the flatulence. <laughs> Fuck, is funny. But it's just a question. Has anyone ever, you know, eked one out on set? Let one slip? You know, you're doing Larry's world, and all of a sudden, who's stinky? Inquiring minds want to know. Bing bong. Is he saying bing bong? Is he? <laughs> we think. Um, so I don't think we've had any accidents on the set. Oh, we, we did. Wait a minute. No, no, wait a minute. There was like... A psych, it was either a psychologist or like a terrorism analyst who went the bathroom on the helicopter pad one morning. Yeah, do you don't know that story? I did hear that story. Oh yeah, I've never heard this before. Yeah, yeah. I uh, so you know, hey, did people see it? Um, I, I believe I believe there was evidence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Larry Potash, and backstory greatest thing that you've ever done we love it everybody watches it thank you for it bye well that's very nice and i just want to take this moment to thank management for moving my time slot every single time we air new episodes i mean that's what you really want in broadcasting keep people guessing as to when your show is on thank you <laughs> what's the time slot nowadays uh I, it was well the new episodes were airing saturday at seven mm. sunday at 11 so now that those are over i think one one time they used to air at 10 p.m another time it was 6 p.m so every time we go to air new episodes which will now be in the spring we'll find out what what new time they've picked and it's i watch fun. monday i watch monday mornings at 2 30 in the morning oh, i just want to let you know when i come oh, in good, time. good yeah good thank you my question is for larry I'm wondering what voice, Midwestern anchor or Boston, does he use at home in the presence of his family? Does he toggle back and forth? Um, and how is he able to do that? Uh, did he take special classes to, to learn how to lose the Boston accent because he effortlessly uh, launches into it on occasion on air? So that's my question. Thank you. Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit. When I get angry, my kids will hear me. I'll say things like, sister, tell your sister to get down here. Like, I can't, I just can't get, I can't get it uh, when I'm perturbed. So. And are they terrified when the Boston accent comes out? No, they laugh. That makes oh. them laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're being all angry and they're just laughing yeah. at you. Yeah. <laughs> The one word that trips me up on the air, the hardest word for me to say is neighborhood. Sometimes I've blown it, and like Roseanne Tez will be laughing. Uh, but, you know, if it's a serious story, you can't, you can't really run with it. But it, it's when I see that in the prompter, man, you know, it's, it's a long word. It's right there in the middle. It's waiting to trip me up. So do it, do it both ways here. Neighborhood. Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It's Which not one the, sounds better? It's not the same person. No, yeah, <laughs> <It's> right. <crazy. laughs> it, it is wild. Yeah. 
Hi, this is Melissa from Wheaton, and my question for Larry Potash is, how does he do such a great job hurting the cats that are the morning news team? Thank you for the podcast. It's great. I loved my favorite segment so far is the uh, Morgan Kochmeyer one where you guys went behind the scenes. That was awesome, and I loved it. Thank you. Keep going. I don't know how well I'm doing hurting any cats uh, of WGN Morning News. We're kind of like a well-oiled machine now, I think. And uh, every so often we get together and, and, and reflect on what we should be doing differently, perhaps, is the, the best uh, way to describe it. Uh, but you know what? I love the, uh, the four to six team. They're, you know, they're not a carbon copy of us. They're actually nice people. And I think it's good that we have nice people as part of our brand. And um, they, I think they've formed some good chemistry. So it's, it's great to see. Speaking of cats, how's Chantal doing? <laughs> it's amazing that people think that this is a, a real deal. And they get angry when I say, like, I'm locking Chantal up in a metal box. I mean, like, really? Do you really think that that's what I'm doing? I don't This is the, like the dumbest segment in the history of broadcasting. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's that, more amazing that the cat's like 20 years old I know, now right? and in great health. Yeah, yeah. I really have no use for cats at all. I don't have any use for pets. Like, I appreciate animals. I just, I, I, I didn't grow up with them. I don't want them running all over my house. But we do have a little dog that's very cute. And uh, and I'm uh, it's in a, It's in a metal cage? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say she's not my responsibility. <laughs> Don't forget, listeners, next week we'll be talking to morning show anchor Robin Baumgarten. If you've got a question for Robin or any of the other morning show anchors, call 773-883-3323. That's 773-883-3323. Larry, do you have anything to promote, like a movie or a book? This week we have a new investigative series, The Disappearance of the Grime Sisters from 1956. It was never even ruled a murder uh, just a mysterious disappearance. We've talked to three investigators with different theories, and we think one of them is right. Ooh, good tease. It's almost like you work in broadcast. That's right off the top of my head. <laughs> wow. <laughs> all right, Larry, do you have any questions for us on the way out? First of all, what oh, do you say? Oh, we're out of time. <laughs> That's all the time we have. You've been listening to the WGN Morning News Podcast. Tune in next week for Robin Baumgarten. I'm Brian Say. And I'm Ross McAbee. And good, good morning, morning Chicago. Chicago. Or whenever you're listening to this. We love you guys. Say bye, Larry. Bye-bye. WGN Morning News Podcast. Time now for checking in with Conrad. I'm kind of hot. Hey, good for you. Yeah, baby. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. That's a good deal of confidence that you have. When I just say that I'm hot? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm going to lunch. We're going to go to uh, Fogo de Chow. And just, uh, have, I'm like. <laughs> and then it goes, wait. My darling, I hunger for your touch. What's your bra size? Quick. <laughs> hey, Dean. Your donuts blow. As far as my underwear goes, um, Extra small. Can I borrow $5,000? Absolutely not, Brian. You never lend money to family or friends. Are we friends? This is nine very personal questions. Is that how it goes? Yeah. These are nine very personal yeah, right. questions.
Oh yeah, it's a long drag at the yeah, end. Yeah, you gotta That's kinda good. put some mustard on it. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna pretend like I'm something I'm not here. So here, here, here we go. Hey guys, Larry Potash here. Listen to the full episode of WGM Morning News Podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. I love you.